This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today I have two guests. The first is writer, director, and filmmaker Edgar Wright, who you know for making such films as Shaun of the Dead, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and The Sparks Brothers. And my second guest is the Oscar-nominated screenwriter, Christy Wilson-Cairns, who co-wrote the film 1917. Together, they co-wrote the screenplay for Edgar's newest film, Last Night in Soho, which stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith. This interview was recorded at the end of October, the day after the film's premiere. I want to jump right into the film, uh, Last Night in Soho. And I want to start by saying this, though. Um, Edgar, I think it was Edgar, or someone on the film sent a note out about watching Last Night in Soho, especially for press, and seeing the movie Cold and the importance of that. And you meant cold by not knowing a lot going into it, but also you joked about it maybe actually being cold. So the theater I went to was like a balmy, like 68 degrees, maybe like a 40% chance of rain. Um, but all, all seriousness, I had no idea what this movie was about. And I know we're not supposed to like be like overly effusive, but I loved it. Honestly, it is a freaking masterpiece what you made, dude, seriously. Oh, thank you. Your note was talking about going to go see a movie that you didn't really know, or you want audience to go and fresh without knowing something. For each of you, Christy and Edgar, do you remember a movie that you went to a movie theater to go see that you had no clue what it was about and that you walked away just loving it? I don't know, I'm a kind of film geek, so I kind of, I go in with some sort of knowledge of what I'm saying. I'm trying to think of something where I saw something like totally unexpected. That's a really mm, interesting. Actually, you know what? I, I didn't see any of the trailers for Baby Driver. And I remember I went to like, I went to see it on my own because people couldn't make it. I went to see in like a morning showing at like Leicester Square. And I had no idea that everything was gonna be cut to the music. And, and, and also because I'm a bit of an idiot, it took me ages to be like, why is this so fucking like magnetic? What? And I was like, oh, it's cut to the music. Oh, and it wasn't until like, there was like a gunfight and I was like, oh, shit. Um, so that, I mean, I got a really good surprise in Baby Driver. I'm sure I have a good answer to this question, but it's eluding me at the moment. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I was trying to put the question back on myself, but aside from Last Night in Soho, and I, I mean this in the, I, the comparison when at the time it was a huge movie and still is for a lot of people, but I went into <laughs> Forrest Gump. I had no idea what that movie was about. I remember going to like with friends to go see it and just being like, not understanding like the CGI stuff or like the effects of it. Obviously now some of that, you know, is very common knowledge, but yeah, it was just one of those like magic experiences. You're like, well, that we should do this more often. <laughs> should never have trailers yeah i will well and that, i would say and that leads to another question for both of you how do you describe this movie how do you explain this movie besides seeing the trailer which i think does a good job of catching the tone and energy i guess it's like a sort of i would i would describe it as a i guess like a psychological thriller i mean the funny thing is is what's nice is that sometimes you just read other people's reactions to it 
like um, somebody who came to the premiere last night, the writer Larry Karaszewski, he said, um, slasher musical remix. And I said, oh, I like that. I said, I probably would have never pitched that to the studio, but like <laughs> slasher musical remix of Persona. And I was thinking, yeah, I'd see that. Like, so I guess the thing is, is that, I mean, I don't know. It's, 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 it's um, I would just say it's a psychological thriller or a psychological horror. How did you two come together to work on this? And what was when Edgar approached you, Christy, if this ha happened, what did he tell you what this was? Well, I mean, Edgar had this idea, I think, growing in your head for like at least a decade. Um, and at least at least like seven years before he ever met me. And um, we happened to meet for the first time at a bar in Soho on message. And we were drinking opposite the strip club I used to live above. And I mentioned to Edgar, I was like, oh, I used to live there really noisy apartment and I worked at that bar in the corner because I was quite nervous meeting Edgar because I'm a big fan so I was like babbling and he was like oh you're a Soho you're like a Soho person um and he is also a Soho person and then he said you know I'm working on this idea um and it's set in the sort of you know like dingier seedier parts to Soho and we went on a night out we went on like a sort of a research trip for him uh, just a drinking expedition for me and we ended up in this basement bar and he told me the story, the entire story for Last Night in Soho. And I sat there totally entranced, like listening to it. And, I, you know, I wasn't involved at all at this stage. I was literally just a fan enjoying having Edgar Wright tell you a story. Uh, and then I guess about nine months later, you called me and said, do you want to do it? And it was a very easy yes. Yeah, it, it, meeting Christy was like the sort of final piece of the puzzle because I'd... Um like Chrissy said, I've been thinking about it for about 10 years. And I, I think a lot of it was just the idea had sort of been haunting me in a way, just like spending a lot of time in Soho, which we both do. And, uh, and you know, more recently, I've kind of came to live nearby as well. It's just sort of a place that's kind of like, it's so sort of um, steeped in kind of history, both good and bad. And, you know, it's just such an exciting, compelling but also sometimes disturbing place. I think for me and Christy sort of walking around that area, it's difficult not to think about the past and, you know, and ghosts in every sense of like the sort of, of history and of the scene, you know, but also real ghosts as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I would, uh, as Christy, as you're describing like where you used to live, I'm seeing <laughs> parts of the movie you know and not to give things away but I would say this um you said you're both Soho people what is uh I've never been to Soho what is a Soho person what is it like a person from home Soho like what are the stereotypes what are they known for so Soho is an area in the center of London and um it's right between the kind of like theater land on one side and you know Oxford Street the sort of the main shopping area you know it's right by Piccadilly Circus probably one of the most famous place in London but it's a square mile that's kind of like sort of quite unusual because you know for hundreds of years it's also as well as being like the heart of show business it's also you know been the heart of like the red light district and kind of like the sort of a den of iniquity in terms of where you know alcoholic um, famous alcoholic uh, writers would go to disappear <laughs> and and you know I guess like the similar to other places like sort of in Paris and uh, where like, you know, kind of artists and criminals and cops kind of all mix. So it's got this kind of extremely like sort of interesting history. 
where just it feels like people intersect in this area that is a law unto itself. And it's still to this day, the heart of the film and TV industry. And it's also a major nightlife area as well. And it's the only city that never sleeps part of London. And so that in itself always makes it kind of like a magnet. And it is one of those places where it's like, it's so, it's so fun and it's so interesting, but you know, after midnight and sort of, um, you know, I mean, there's that thing people say that no good decisions get made after 2.30 in the morning. And, and Soho is absolutely the place to sort of like, there's something very bad could happen, you know? Well, and I want to go back to a little bit of the screenwriting process too. Like what it, I, writers work in different ways. What is that process like? Are you guys each taking like a, like a pass at the draft or like, I'm going to write this scene, you write that. Like, what does that workflow look like for both of you? Well, uh, like Christy said, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of conceived of the story and had that sort of figured out for a long time. And, and once I asked Christy to come on and write it with me, I, I just kind of laid out everything I had so far in terms of like the research, the um, like just had the kind of the outline of the script and also all of the music as well. I, I was sort of worried that she was going to turn on her heels because it sort of looked like with all of the kind of outlines spread out on the walls, it looked like I was trying to hunt the Zodiac killer or something. Um, so it was a very sort of dense kind of like sort of outline of the entire thing. But we we sort of sat together and just went through the script, you know, like Christie's thoughts on it, or the story rather, and then started writing it together in the room, basically. And sometimes like one person taking a scene, sometimes the other person taking a scene, rewriting each other's, but essentially the first draft, at least all in the room together, which was fun because Christie's a fun person to hang out with. You only see that because I bring chocolate. That's why I'm a fun person because I bring chocolate. That's it. Well, Christy, what was your like besides bringing chocolate? What was your like? What did you feel like that process was like for you? And when you saw Edgar's Zodiac like killer research and planning? Oh well, I mean, I couldn't actually, find them by the way. Yeah, yeah. The, like, you know, the, the John Doe from Seven look is my aesthetic. So like as I walked in there, I was like, oh, I'm home. Um. So I, yeah, I, I wasn't even remotely worried about that. And I think you know I had such a such a lovely time writing the script we like listened to music uh, I got introduced to like a whole world of 60s music and the Spark Brothers as well by the way like we had, we had a lot of fun and it's really joyful working with Edgar I mean obviously I'm a fan of his work but I'm a fan of him as a person and a human as well like I, I consider him a very good friend and so yeah every day I turned up to work with one of my buddies and got to talk about time travel and move into the 60s and Argos real uh, and then you get to write and it's yeah it's a true pleasure. But there's a, a lot of different, uh, I would say genres or styles in this film. Is a lot of that in the script or is a lot of that coming through the shooting and editing? And how do you mix some of these varied styles? I think it all comes in the conception. I mean, you don't sort of discover the genre in the edit. It's like sort of, it's, it's sort of in, in a weird way, the genre comes first in terms of like, what's the tone of the movie? And I think if anything, in terms of like, if the film sort of like, has a feeling where it sort of changes tone. It, in a weird way, it's like what's happening to Eloise is that she's sort of like allured by the 60s herself. And like, so the first, maybe like the first half of the movie seems a little more magical and glamorous. And then dot, 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 you know, the darkness starts to seep in. I always like, had this idea, like, I really like, um, I really like some of those sort of psychological horrors 
and thrillers that kind of go into what I would call like pure cinema in the sense of that they have this kind of sort of strange internal logic that only really works in a movie. I mean, lots of Alfred Hitchcock films are like that, like lots of parts of Psycho. It's like one of the greatest movies of all time, but it sort of exists in its own kind of like physics. And uh, and I really like that. And, and, and in a lot of those movies to me and things by Michael Powell or Brian De Palma as well, like they sort of start to become kind of operatic at a certain point. So in a weird way, without giving too much away, sort of where you're sort of heading with the movie in the climax is sort of something very sort of expressionistic and operatic because you're seeing it through the eyes of an 18 year old girl who's, you know, having the most kind of stressful, vivid, like experience that anybody could ever have. I'm just nodding because that's exactly what I felt. And I'm not an 18 year old girl. <laughs> um, the cast of this film is just insane. Like you have uh, Matt Smith, Anya Taylor-Joy, you have uh, Thomas and McKenzie, Diana Rigg. Um, what I'm asking is like, how do you get all these amazing people to be in here? And uh, Terrence Stamp, let's not forget him. And also, what was it like working with people like Terrence and Diana who have such a history in cinema and TV? One of the funny sort of um, ironies is that I, I talked to Anya about the plot of the movie before I even met Christy. <laughs> because I had, I had seen The Witch at Sundance in 2015. And even though I ha we hadn't written a word of the screenplay yet, I sort of said, ah, she should be the lead of my Soho movie. So I met her for coffee in Los Angeles. And basically, in a similar way that I did with Christy when we went out on our night in Soho, I just sort of pitched her the entire movie over coffee. And uh, this is the first time I'd ever met her as well. <laughs> like, so <laughs> she was like, whoa, wow. I, uh, she goes, I want to be part of that movie. And, uh, but initially I was thinking of her for Eloise. And then over the years, you know, when we started writing, one of the big things that happened when Christy started writing with me was that we expanded the part of Sandy, which was Christy's suggestion. And as soon as that part started to expand, I decided, ah, Anya should be playing the Sandy part. And luckily she agreed. And then once we knew that Anya was going to play Sandy, then we went looking for Eloise and Thomas and Mackenzie was like high on the list. In terms of the, uh, like the sort of the Terence and Diana and Rita Tushingham, I think when you're write writing, like you start to sort of, you know, it's kind of like you have to sort of manifest these things. You start to think about who would be the perfect person to play that part. And I think probably you know, when we were writing, you know, you start to think, you know what, Terrence Stamp would be great playing this. So, you know, it's as simple as them reading the script and wanting to do it, like sort of um, all three of them like read the script and wanted to, to be a part of it, which was amazing. And, you know, obviously working with Diana Rigg in what is now her final role was just a, a source of just kind of joy, like to have like had the experience of working with her and getting to know her was just extraordinary. And she just such, was such a funny and like fabulous woman. And uh, we're just sort of still kind of like pinching ourselves that we even got to meet her, let alone like work with her. Oh, wow. And uh, Christy, as you uh, learned of the roles that you had written being cast, um, what were your reactions as you're hearing like all these names? I mean, it's, it's really nice when you work with a very, you know, Edgar is very modest, but he's such a draw for actors because he's an he's an incredible director um and gets a lot of repeat business because people love working with him much like me and um so I always knew 
you know, that we we get stellar people. I think Diana Rigg was the one where I really had to pinch myself because I, I grew up, even though I missed the Avengers airing on TV the first time around, I grew up watching the reruns on like BBC Four um, and was like fully obsessed with Emma Peel and used to dress as her as Halloween, like really, really weird kid. Like, you know, at my like school being like, I'm Emma Peel, <laughs> do you know Chop? Um, and so I think like when we first, like when I first found out she was reading it, I was sort of buzzing. And then when she said she would do it and, and the first time, you know, we sat in that room and 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 heard her, you know, see the lines, I, I genuinely forgot I'd written it. I, I actually kind of forgot that I was watching Diana Rigg. Suddenly like Mrs. Collins was alive in the room, which is a really jarring experience when you made that person up in your head. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was just such a pleasure to know her, to work with her. Um, to, to spend time with her and, and, and to watch Edgar get like you know from everyone these tremendous performances like to get to sit and watch that as a writer you're just kind of like ah oh, this is gonna be great <laughs> that's an easy job I brought oh. chocolate and we have great performances yeah, now. Some rebels and watch this get shot <laughs> and then you guys had some gin last night and uh, you're all good now <laughs> uh, there are stories about how George Miller cast Anya based in part on seeing her in last night in Soho Edgar, I'm more curious, what's it like having George Miller watch a film that you've made but not released yet? Well, George, um, I'm, I met him when Mad Max Fury Road came out because my sound mixer, Julian Slater, was working on that film. And I ran into him, he says, oh, I'm doing Mad Max Fury Road. And he said, and he said, George Miller's a big fan of yours. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I was such a huge <laughs> fan. And so we met around then. What's great about George is that he's sort of so, such a, like, he sort of approaches like movies in that very sort of analytical way in terms of he's almost like the best person to show a movie. And I would kind of like, I showed him the movie and that's when he, in fact, the, it's also, I was talking to Anya about this only last night because the thing that's so sort of like strange and like memorable about showing him the movie is it was the night before um, London shut down. <laughs> and um <laughs> And uh, so I had the strange experience of showing my movie and going, and we went to a restaurant afterwards and it was in those kind of days just before like the shutdown where people were already staying away from restaurants. So we went in this empty restaurant and I was talking to another director about my movie, but also with a real doctor about the pandemic. And I'd so I can't forget that. And that was also the night that when he sort of said, hey, how was working with Anya? Like, so I'm, I'm casting Furiosa at the moment. And I said, stop, you found her. Like, she's a, she's a mega star. I did say that. So I want like her, I want her agents to give me the 10% commission. <laughs> I'd say you get the money, right? That's how that's, that's how this business works, I think. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. And I want to know, Christy, Edgar, what are you currently obsessed with? I mean, I, this is, it sounds like it's too on brand, but like, I, I mean, weirdly, I'm still sort of obsessed. Well, not so much obsessed with this movie, but I can't kind of like stop 
even though the entire movie is about um, the dangers of being nostalgic and sort of like it's sort of sharp rebuke to the idea of like living in the past. Like the, basically the, the moral of the movie is like you cannot live in the past. You cannot change the past. You have to be in the present. And yet <laughs> I can't stop listening to 60s music. I've just been listening to it on like repeat, like not just the soundtrack, but other stuff. And so I guess like sort of the honest truth is like sort of just in terms of where my head is at is like I'm just still stuck in like sort of Eloise at the start of the movie. I'm like still stuck in this kind of like thing of listening to sort of 60s pop endlessly on the loop. So that's the actual truth. Watching the movie and not knowing anything about it, there's the opening scenes and then she gets to the train and all of a sudden she has a pair of Beats headphones. I'm like, wait, what? And then I realized to say that I like that. Some people don't realize that they think that's a period part until you see the Beats headphones. Yeah. And I like it because now reflecting on the rest of the film, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like it's so. So the first person who said that to me after a screening, this is a good name job, but it's just funny, was the RZA from Wu-Tang Clan who thought, <laughs> he, goes, he goes, dude, I was thinking it's the 60s. And he goes, and then I saw the Beats and I was like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> And, and uh, I'm so obsessed in Wu-Tang. We actually, and I'm not even joking, we do have a relationship, so this is perfect. Um, but I Christy, what, what are you currently obsessed with? I mean, I, I have been dressing up a lot to do press and, and premieres, and I am obsessed with my new sweatpants. I can't wait to go into <laughs> uh, and go back to and start writing again. <laughs> I'm like, I bought a pair. They've arrived. I've not put them on yet. And that's my treat. That's my award for, uh, you know, seeing the film out. So as I'm obsessed with leisure. <laughs> this is the way we end up all of our podcasts. We do a thing called pick one. I give you some choices. You pick one. It doesn't mean the thing you pick is better than the other. And you can talk it out. So let's play pick one. Edgar, this first one is for you. Writing, directing or producing. Um, I'd say not definitely not producing. Oh my god, <laughs> absolutely not! Like, that's like the worst of the three. That's the, that's the hardest job of the three. Like, I can't do what Naira Park does. Oh my god, I would say if I had to pick between the two, I mean, writing I love when it goes well, and I feel like that's kind of like one percent of the time for me. So, I have to pick directing, I guess. And I throw that actually to you, Christy, because I'm I, like, are you going to ever be a director? But you can answer it this way, writing, directing, or producing. Pick oh, one. writing. I get to do it in sweatpants. I don't have to be up before 10. Are you kidding? It's all indoors on my own. I can drink at noon and no one knows. I, mean, I think you could probably do that as a director. You just might not have a lot of respect. No, I, 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 listen, I've sat next to a bunch of very good directors and I know how hard they work. Uh, and I will stick to making stuff up in my pajamas for now. Pick one, Diana Rigg in The Avengers, Diana Rigg in Game of Thrones, or Diana Rigg in Mother Love. I mean, come on. It's so obvious. <laughs> like Emma Peel forever. Emma Peel. Emma Peel. Come on. I mean, on. you, went, uh, you had a Halloween costume them. based off her, so yeah. Always great, but like Emma Peel is eternal. And then um, uh, Edgar, for the you, uh, pick one, Super 8 or Video 8? Uh, Super 8. I mean, okay. so yeah, I, I I made I made movies on both when I was a kid, and uh, uh, you know, video video eight was fun, but there's something magical about Super Eight for sure. And um, then this last one's for both of you: Terrence Stamp in Superman Two, Terrence Stamp in Billy Budd, or Terrence Stamp in Adventures of Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Oh, oh, that's a hard one. Um, 
I mean, for me, it's Terrence Stamp in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, because I love that film. <laughs> I'm going to pick Billy Budd, because like Terrence told me a story about that, where he said that in his final shot in the movie, I won't say what happens, but it's like, it's the end of the movie. He said that it was the first time that he felt like he had kind of like sort of transcended when he was shooting that. And he told me about it. He said that he sort of had an out of body experience during his, his final shot of the movie. And then I watched it again after he told me that and I could really see it. And it kind of was, it was really sort of magical and spooky. So I'm going to pick Terrence and Billy Budd, his first movie, in fact. Yes, that was his first movie. Wow. And what a first movie. To start I, know, career I know, it's a hell of a first movie. I'm throwing a fourth one that kind of wipes all the others oh. off. Terrence Stamp in Toby Dammit from Spirits of the Dead. That's that's the Terrence Stamp role. That's the sort of like the that's the that's to me that's the coolest one of them all. <laughs> Instead of doing the rest of the interviews we've got today, I could happily play pick one all day. It's so much cool easier thing. than to having to explain the elevator pitch of the movie. I want to thank Christy and Edgar for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Last Night in Soho in theaters now. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.